0: We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. People. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible.
1: We pick it up in chapter 14, where we read this. Now it happened as he, Jesus, went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath that they watched him closely. And behold, there was a certain man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus answering spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent. And he took him and healed him and let him go. And then he answered them saying, Which of you having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit will not immediately pull him out? On the Sabbath day, and they could not answer him regarding these things. In this chapter tonight, we get Jesus addressing different people. And it's progressive. The the end of this chapter, Jesus talks about being a disciple and His supremacy over all of our lives. And I really believe that as this chapter unfolds with the storyline here at this dinner table of a ruler of the Pharisees where they're breaking bread, that this progression of Jesus teaching, healing, the parable he's going to teach, parables, and the things that he's saying, they're progressive and they really deal contextually, collectively with the idea of their lessons on discipleship. We saw in the previous text where one came to Jesus and said are few saved remember we talked about that are few saved because Jesus said enter by the narrow gate and there's huge multitudes following him and are few saved and that was a major point of topic recently when we we're going through Luke and tonight I think we get some clarity on that even this chapter coming forward from the last chapter 13. In the context we see that this man has invited Jesus to his house for food. That's a, you know, it's a sign of fellowship, of course, in the Middle Eastern culture, a breaking of bread. It's the very reason why Peter wouldn't go into the house of a Gentile, let alone break bread with them, because it shows that oneness. And we talk about this when it comes up contextually. But really, when the Pharisees invite Jesus to dinner, it's usually a trap. And we can even see from the context, to some degree, it was. But so there was hypocrisy in it. But the one whose house he's at is a ruler of the Pharisees. So um, he's a leader of leaders because the Pharisees are leaders. They believe the Old Testament, they've added to it, but they believe it. And they're supposed to be leading God's people. And if he's a ruler of the Pharisees, he's a leader of leaders. We talk about in their own society, leaders make leaders. So he's a leader of leaders, religious leaders. And they don't know what to do with Jesus. And we know that many Pharisees are plotting his death we also know, though, in the book of Acts, that many Pharisees come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ through the preaching of Peter and John. So we just don't know which group of Pharisees these are. But they're religious leaders who believe the Old Testament, but put their tradition over it. And they are at odds with Jesus, particularly on the Sabbath and Jesus healing on the Sabbath. It says in verse one, they watched him closely. And it said there was a man there who had droopsy. So this understand this word droopsy is more of a symptom than an actual disease it's a symptom of water in the in the body tissue the human tissue so it'd be like water swelling from something going wrong usually with your kidneys or your liver so you'd be like swollen like water weight this droopsy that what's the word here used to describe this infirmity again more of a symptom than an actual infirmity probably something wrong with the uh the kidney or the livers the liver or the kidneys And Jesus asked them with, isn't it's interesting to me? No matter where Jesus goes, there's always an opportunity for ministry, right? I mean, there's always somebody in need. You ever think about that? Like in in any group of humanity, there's always a need. There's always a need there. You might see it as obvious. This person has droopsy. There's something wrong with them physically. Like they're discolored or something. We don't know. But like, there's always a need. There's always a physical need. There's always spiritual needs, emotional needs, mental needs. You know, like we're broken. Humanity's broken because of sin. And our father being Adam. And it's like, I just look here, like there's always a need. And this man has a need on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus asked these leaders, it says there, he he spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees. Now, lawyers mean studiers of the law of God in the Old Testament, not lawyers like we think of. So he says, so is it lawful? Is it right? Is it right to heal on the Sabbath? So now while they're trying to trap him, he's like, I'm going to put something to you. And it says they kept silent. Verse four, they could say nothing. There's just silence. Talk about an awkward dinner, right? This is awkward if you think about it. Like they're breaking bread. Everyone's like acting like everything's fine, but it's just like, it's just really awkward human experience. And the elephant in the room is the man with on the Sabbath day. Hey, six other days, it wouldn't have been an issue. But the reason Jesus healed on the Sabbath was to reprove the religious errors, the teachings of religious errors by these Pharisees. He's confronting their self-confidence in their self-made religion to save themselves, as opposed to letting the word of God be the final authority and believe in Jesus. So it's a conflict that's unavoidable. It's meant to happen this way. And so he heals them and he lets him go. So there's always a need. Jesus heals this man. And there's there's the freedom, the physical healing freedom. There's the joy that would have come for the man. We've seen this throughout the Gospel of Luke. And then he says to these guys, now, which of you wouldn't do this for an ox or donkey? And notice how he said immediately. So he says, which of you wouldn't do this for your ox or your donkey immediately on the Sabbath? So he's just using common sense. He's like, hey, you would rescue your ox or your donkey. Ox, donkey that you own, your property, or a human being. In physical need. He's, he's forcing them to compare what's of value to them. What's more valuable to them in their religious self-made religious worldview? The ox and donkey that you would immediately rescue doing work on the Sabbath, which you would do without even thinking immediately, because he knows their hearts, or comparing that to the man who he just healed. And it says they could say nothing again. They could not answer him regarding these things, verse 6. So <clears throat> as we begin this text tonight. We just have this whole idea of the relationship Christ was calling people to have with him through repentance of their sin and their need for him because he always called people to himself. And the conflict with the religion of these men who saw themselves as being self-reliant and self-justified before God by believing the Old Testament and their interpretation of it added to it and how they applied it to their lives and then forced it on people the common people who heard Jesus gladly, but couldn't bear the yoke that these guys put on them. So that's our background. Now we read on notice in verse seven, it says, so he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places saying to them. So let's just get our introduction out. So we're still at the dinner table. Okay. Contextually we're still at this awkward dinner table feast, um, on the Sabbath day at the ruler of the Pharisee's house. And as Jesus has just healed this men of dropsy, and he puts forth these statements, and they have nothing to say. They're just, there's silence, there's this awkward silence. He looks around the room, and the first group of people that he's addressing now, contextually, this is important, are those who were invited. Hmm. So these are Pharisees and lawyers, studier of the old, studiers of the Old Testament law, And they were invited to the house of the ruler of Pharisees. So it's a pretty big deal. It's an important dinner party. They've been invited to their boss's house. And the boss has invited the rabbi, the the one who some say is the Messiah, Jesus, to his house for dinner. And you get to come to that dinner party. It's it's kind of, it's an important dinner party. But like we said, it's pretty awkward. It's an awkward dinner party, but it's an important one. So in verse 7, he's addressing now. The people that were invited. And he said in verse eight, when you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he Who invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, go up higher. Then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, in this chapter, Jesus is going to talk about in the resurrection. So he's going to take the context of this dinner party and put it in the context of eternity. We're moving toward there. So when we think about being Humble in this parable, or exalted, it could happen in time, space and matter, in the human experience, as we would probably apply this in our own lives, but right now he was applying it to them, but really, ultimately, it is an eternity. It has the idea of eternity. We recently finished First Peter, and when we finished First Peter, one of the things that we saw there is that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And, of course, this parable brings us to that topic of the need for humility. The Bible talks about, you know, David said in Psalm 139 that if we examine ourselves, he invited God to examine him, search me and try me and know me. We know that Paul the Apostle exhorted the Corinthians that they need to examine themselves. And we know from the totality of Scripture that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And in this context, if we're religiously proud like these guys were and think we're saving ourselves, we're just completely self-deceived. But if there's brokenness and humility and we see our need or they saw their need, that they were sinners in need of a Savior and Jesus is that Savior, then they would find grace. God resists the proud, those who don't see their need for, for salvation by faith, but he gives grace to the humble. So that principle Of grace and humility, they go together. In fact, when you think about in the book of Revelation, uh, when the books are open, when the judgment takes place in the end of the age, that it implies that those books are open and before each person we can see why they're not going in the kingdom. And the, the, great, the great sin of all is pride. That was Satan's sin, was pride. I will do this, I will do that, I will do this and I will do that. The Bible, the Bible gives us through the prophets an understanding of what happened in heaven during Satan's rebellion. And the key to his rebellion was in his beauty, he was lifted up in pride and somehow came up with a Darwinistic worldview that he could uh, evolve himself and elevate himself to be equal to or greater than God. He was lifted up in pride, and that pride cost him his presence uh, of glory before the Father in heaven. It caused him to be cast out of heaven. And even in his original temptation with Eve and Adam and all subsequent temptations, we know that one of the three main areas of temptation is the pride of life, pride. We are prone toward pride. We're not just prone to be selfish and self-centered. We are prone toward pride. It just, it runs, it's in our DNA. It's in our nature as the sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. But the original sin there was Satan's pride. And when you think about the books being opened in Revelation and why people don't make it into heaven, it, above all else, all other sins, pride is is foundationally the root sin by which all other sins are linked because pride in the human heart says, I can save myself or I'm good enough or I can be my own God. And there are, there are various philosophies and and human worldviews and and things like that, and world religions that appeal to man's pride by which man can do it all and earn his way to heaven or become his own God, and God is then subject to him. And it's pride. And these guys had pride. Contextually, their problem was religious pride. They they really believed, like maybe for most of us tonight, it's a little harder for us to, to grasp this, but contextually, we need to understand these guys... They ruled God's people, and they misrepresented God in ruling them. And they had the scrolls and the scriptures of the Old Testament, the same ones that we have, essentially. And they misrepresented the heart of God in the scriptures, there was no other group of people on the face of the planet who were set aside as a nation with a covenant like this group of people. There was no other group of people entrusted with the stewardship of teaching God's word that he revealed to that nation about the Messiah who had come to that nation, Jesus Christ, than these religious leaders. Of all the religious leaders that ever existed in Jewish history of the Old Testament, from Moses until the high priest rejecting him later on in this gospel, this generation... Jesus said all the judgments would come down on this generation. And it's this generation of religious leaders who it all came down upon. Their religious pride, they they did not see their need for God. They would have thought in many cases they were like King David or something. But David's greatness a thousand years before this was not his pride, but his brokenness before the Lord. And so in this context at this dinner table with these men there in positions of pecking order it's as if it's <laughs> it's as if it's Pompey and Julius Caesar in 55 BC Rome and there are and there's people posturing for power it's like the Roman Republic before it became the Roman Empire or it's the senators and they're all positioning for power And it's all about who's important and who's working their way up, but in a religious hierarchy within the nation because these religious positions became political positions. And instead of being positions by which to serve, they became positions by which to rule. And instead of being positions of shepherds to receive from the chief shepherd, they became positions of false shepherds leading the people astray and fleecing the flock. These are very dangerous, self-deceived men. And yet Jesus is teaching them something now we don't know if the apostles were at the table and it's mixed but we they certainly probably were they could have been but you know he's actually teaching these guys think about this for a minute he is teaching these religious leaders i appreciate that just just consider that for a moment go back to verse seven he told the parable to those who were invited so these people who are speechless, these religious leaders speechless before him, when they're at the house of their boss, he's teaching them. And he's trying to help them. He's trying to help them that God understand that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he's saying, because he knew their hearts, and so you all posture for positions of importance at the table, in this table, to take on place of position with your boss in this whole situation. But I tell you, You should take the lowest seat so you can be exalted because there's a true principle, just like there's certain spiritual laws that govern God's universe. Sowing and reaping is one of them for sure, right? You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. To the merciful, you'll find mercy. And this one is whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles themselves will be exalted before God because God resists the proud. And so if these guys cannot humble themselves and recognize their need for faith in Jesus as their Savior, they're perishing. Like Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he didn't come to the world to condemn the world because the world is already condemned. They're condemned because they reject him as the Savior, John chapter 3 tells us. We're already condemned. We need to pass from death to life and condemnation to justification. And if our pride keeps us from humbling ourselves before the Lord and seeing our need for Christ and the willingness to repent from our sins, then we will die in our sins. There are only two purposes to be alive tonight. There are only two reasons we're alive here tonight. The first one is if we're not saved to be saved. And the only reason we have the breath of life in us is to be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. All those people down there today at Labor of Love and you serving them and us praying for them and the tracks being passed out and the prayer booth and all these things. There are only two purposes for the people on the planet that pass through there today. And the first one is is to repent from their sins and believe in Jesus Christ. That is the purpose that they are alive in the very breath whom God holds in his hand is that they would pass from death to life. That is the only purpose that they are alive. The primary purpose is to be saved. They're not alive to serve themselves or to live a life of rebellion against God. But they're alive this day that they can be saved. And the second purpose we're alive is why we're here tonight. So we can fulfill his calling and purposes on our life. Like those of you down there serving today as well at Labor of Love. Or doing the sound tonight at five o'clock. There's only two reasons to be alive. To get saved or to be faithful in our service to the Lord and what he saved us for. There are no other reasons to be alive in God's economy. And these guys... They're perishing, and Jesus is trying to help them understand what they must do to be saved. They must take the lowliest position. David once said in the psalm, I'm but a worm, I'm nothing. And yet, his name is the name that would be ascribed to Jesus as the son of David. His name is the one by which every other king is measured by. If you're a good king, like his father David. If you're a bad king, not like his father David. It's a good reminder to us that we never move from the place of humility. Humility is, a, is an equity that we always want in our lives. And if something causes you embarrassment, if something humbles you, if something brings you to a place where you feel shame or whatever, it can immediately use for good if you can receive that humility. And if our lives can be a pattern of self-effacing, self-effacing ourselves before the Lord and serving others, we will do very good in life and we will fulfill the purposes in our life. But if we have too much pride that we never are willing to repent and trust in Jesus or we give our life to Jesus, but our pride constantly hinders how He can use us, then we are, we are wasting our life. Humility is the one attribute by which so many other good ones come forth from our life when it is Demonstrated in our hearts, in our standing before the Lord. And throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, humility is always in. Our religion and our self-imposed and self-made religion will never save us. It's going to be our faith in Jesus that always saves us. Brokenness before the Lord. And if we humble ourselves in this life and commit ourselves to him who is faithful, like we saw in First Peter. He will lift us up in due time. And it's not about being lifted up in time. It's not about a wrong in time being made straight and you being vindicated or me being vindicated, us being justified because of some evil or injustice. It's not about time. It is always about eternity. The scales of justice balance out perfectly in eternity. And humility is the attribute that transcends time, space and matter into an effective and abundant entrance into the kingdom whereas pride will keep us from it. And it's, it's hard to be laughed at. It's hard to be humbled or, you know, whatever. But you learn that humility and brokenness are great attributes to have in our life. And we are so much more likely to fulfill God's will in our life if we have humility and, True humility as a disposition before God and brokenness before God and in how we look at people and how we look at His call in our life. Verse 12, we read on, Then He, Jesus, also said to him who invited Him. Okay, so let's shift gears. Jesus addressed all the invited guests. Now He's addressing the boss of the bosses, the leader of the leaders. Now He's addressing the big boss, He's addressing His host. When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Silence for everybody. Then he addresses all the invited guests, and now he's addressing. The host in his house so this has a very specific now everyone else is hearing it so the context overflows but contextually he's, he's talking to one person it's like if you're if you're at dinner with your family and dad's talking to hannah but you know it's directed to hannah but it really affects luke and tim as well right it has that idea like you're still there you're still part of the conversation. It's like, not like he's talking to him privately. Hey, I want to talk to you privately. Listen, when you invite people over, don't invite your rich neighbors. I can pay you back. Invite the poor, the blind, and the lame. The main, you know? He's like, he didn't do that. It's all, it's, it's a personal directed word, but it's in a public context. So there's lessons here for those listening, but the context is this man So at this dinner table, what Jesus is saying is that these guys showed up trying to move up in their pecking order and to be important and be seen as important, like Roman senators, if you will. And this man, who's the leader of the Pharisees, Jesus is now kind of peeling back his heart a little bit. And it would seem by implication, he's doing this with an ulterior motive. It would seem by what Jesus is saying, you shouldn't have motives for, it could have been his motives. That... I do this for you, you do that for me, right? We all understand that. Hey, I do this for you, and you do that for me.
0: You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless.